Before us this morning is the Lord's table, and as I prayed, I remembered that uh, for me and for many, it's been a regular routine for many years of my life. Some congregations in which I've worshipped have celebrated the Lord's table every Sunday. Some that I've worshipped in over the years have celebrated the Lord's table once every three months. And of course, many every month. It varies, doesn't it? The tradition of this is somewhat flexible. We're in a rather unique position, I suggest, as a church this morning. We're between decisions. Well, lots of churches are between decisions, so that doesn't make us especially unique. But the decisions that we're in the process of making make us unique at this time. And some of the decisions that await us will take a while. Decisions of a senior pastor, those who will lead us as a congregation. And apparently, and I'm only a new kid on the block and been around only a little, but probably there's been some frustration and disappointments for you along the way. How are we as a congregation in transition, as it were, to discover the mind of the Father, the heart of God? For even as we worshiped this morning and sang, and the sense of God's presence was among us, there was that, I sense, a desire to know the heart and the mind of the Father in this time in our lives. What's God about? Our text, as was read, speaks to this matter, I believe, briefly this morning. But before I get into the text there in 1 Corinthians, beginning at 11 and 27, I'd like to tell you a story. The story begins uh, with a young pastor, me, many years ago, in the first church that Judy and I began to pastor together in Canada, We'd been involved at seminary in a church in Indiana, but we were in a little town of Nipah, Manitoba. Been there a year or two as the pastor and pastor's wife, and at that particular point, uh, one child. And um, after we'd been in the congregation for a year or two, there was a discussion amongst the leadership team that we should go and do a retreat together. And the discussion developed around the idea that the leadership retreat would meet with a sister congregation, which in our case was in Dauphin, Manitoba. And we would journey, in this case, on a weekend to meet them, spend Friday and Saturday together in a retreat of the leaders of the two congregations. And so that process was planned and organized, and we journeyed up for the few hours it took to get to Dauphin, met at the First Baptist Church there, and engaged in activities around the subject of retreat and reflection and prayer as leaders of two congregations as they had been set aside by their individual churches. Saturday morning, we were busy about things with the retreat, and our plan was to uh, finish with lunch and head back home to Nipawa to do the responsibilities of Sunday morning. The lunch was organized, and 
it was the occasion when a group of visiting, uh, in this case lay people, but believers, had come in from Regina, Saskatchewan, and come to Dauphin to do a weekend retreat. And just briefly, at that particular time in the early 70s, there was a movement of the Spirit going on. Some of you, if I asked to raise your hands, you would be benefactors of that revival. And it was going on at the time, and the, it was uh, uh, an occasion where a group of the folks from Regina had come to Dauphin to do a retreat, spend the weekend, and they were, they were going to be housed in this particular uh, building where we were, and so they came for lunch. And so we shared lunch together. And over the lunch, we discovered who they were, and they were visiting, and they were celebrating the, the movement of God across Canada. And so uh, those of us from Nipawa, including myself, got a bit curious. And so in the discussion, decided to remain a little longer in the Saturday afternoon and meet with these folk and just hear the stories of what God was doing in revival in the early 70s in Canada. So they their habit was to form a circle of chairs. And everybody sat in a circle, and we were going to discuss and pray together, and one chair was left vacant like this right here. And the argument or the discussion that they presented to us, this group visiting, was that this is a chair for someone who feels they need to have prayer. And so it's open for some. Anybody could sit there. So we spent some time in discussion, and as the discussion and sharing went on, I came to a point. Without realizing what was going on in my own heart, that I needed to sit in that chair. So I got up before my deacons, right? And I moved and sat in that chair. And the idea was that if you sat in the chair, which I didn't quite realize, but when you sat in the chair, the group decided that uh, maybe it was because I was a pastor. I don't know the reason, but the, the two of the fellows in the group from Regina decided that the three of us should leave the auditorium and go to a, a, a quiet place to pray. So in other words, they wanted to pray for me, but it was going to be kind of private. So as we sat down together in this room, the three of us, they simply began to ask me questions. They don't know me. They discovered that I was a pastor, a sister church down the way in Nipua, that I was married to Judy, that I had a son, Glenn, not quite two years old, that I was recently, in the last couple of years, graduated from seminary and had a master's degree. Just the kind of, you know, who are you kind of stuff. And I answered the questions. And then John, one of the fellows said, Ask me. He said, George, he said, <clears throat> the seminary degree you got, whose is it? So me being a pastor and trying to think ahead of everybody else, you know, get the answer right, uh, got to think, well, uh, sure, it's, <laughs> it's, the degree is the Lord's, obviously. You know, he provided the way, and I had a real story, and how we got there, and the costs, and covered, and yeah, it's the Lord's. He, sure, it's the Lord's degree. Glenn, your boy, whose is he? 
Well, I'm getting it, right? Well, he's, he's yours. He's the Lord's. I know he's my son, but he's the Lord's. And uh, Judy, your wife, whose is she? Yeah, she's the Lord's, right? And then he said, The church you're pastoring, George, whose is it? And he got me. Young pastor, enthusiastic, going with the ebb and the flow of the problem in the church, as I was doing. I realized that day, friends, I said, the church is his. And over these many, many years since, by God's grace, through that experience of learning whose church it is, I've been able to pastor and work with a variety of congregations with great stress and less stress, with great stories and poor stories, with wonderful stories and the depths of despair, all the time remembering that the life of the church does not have to affect me in the way of depression or discouragement or taking the credit. You get the picture. Such a freedom God gave me that weekend by his grace. And friends, this morning, it is critical for any leader, any committed believer, to discover with me this morning who owns the church. It's not easy to learn that lesson I've learned, but it is possible. Let's look for this brief time at the text that surrounds the Lord's table. Beginning at verse 27. Now, let me just give you a brief bit of history. I know time will go all too fast. But briefly, Corinthians is a letter in response that Paul wrote to a congregation that he started, that he, you know, planted, that he's left. And he's been getting the word, not on the internet, not on email, you know, all those, but by letter or in person, about the problems in the Corinthian church. So the result is a letter that goes back, the first one particularly, that goes back by some emissary, by, by some kind of method, goes back to the church and is created around a number of subjects that are problems in that congregation. All right, that's 1 Corinthians. And you will remember, some of you, that he addresses the church then in the first several chapters. He addresses marriage. He addresses worship. He addresses the subject of the Lord's table. And all of these have come to him because there's a problem in the church about these matters, and he addresses them in 1 Corinthians. So here we are addressing the subject of the problem of the Lord's Supper. And in verse 17 of this chapter, it says, In the following directives, I don't have any praise for you. He's rather blunt. For your meetings do more harm than good. Now that's in Corinth. That's not here, right? That's in Corinth, but let's look at it for a moment anyway. And then he moves to chapter uh, 11, 27, and says, so then, now in other words, the so then is a connection to 17, right? Because he's, 
It says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood, the body and the blood of our Lord. The text is a reflection of our relationship, I believe, to the rest of the covenant community. Is it not? And is indeed the whole chapter. It relates to us as a covenant community. A community not only of members, and we can at some point maybe have a discussion about membership and how that's unique, but it's a covenant community of visitors and friends and kids all, right? The covenant community who worship here together on a regular basis. R. Brown translates comments on the verse, and he says, a person who does not act out of love for the fellowship. That makes it really clear. Does not act out of love for the For the fellowship. Sinning against the body means to be guilty of sin, known sin, right here, right now. In the message, the translation, some of you are familiar with it, right? It reads this way. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master, irreverently, is how they phrase it, is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Friends, This is serious stuff for us here today. There may be some still sense of loss from events that have transpired over the last several years. Loss. As I mentioned, we're in a time of transition. Transition is taking place, maybe not the way you would like, or maybe not the way you think they would like. With pastors leaving and Leadership changing, frustrations, disappointments. And we're in a situation with a prayerful consideration of a new search committee and a new pastor. And with the work that needs to be done, we need to keep up and maintain ministries. But you may be feeling today just a little bit discouraged. That's okay. Okay. That's all right. That's just fine. There's a time for grieving, and the time for grieving is not the same for all of us. Grief is different for everybody. Even within a family, grieving is different for all of us. But by comparing our grief to someone else's grief, it may become a sin against the body and the blood of Jesus. It may cause us irrepa- irreparable damage and irreverence towards the community. Secondly, let's look at verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they can eat the bread and drink the cup. And this is not new to you or me. This has been talked about many times. Each month or each time we regularly celebrate this meal, the expectation is sometime before this morning, we've sat down, we've thought, we've prayed and said, Lord, am I ready? Do I have a good relationship with the community, with the covenant fellowship? Do I feel good about the things going on with your body, your church today? Yes, I do. I can come and I can break the bread and do no injustice to the community as I testify to the strong relationship I have between Jesus, 
His death and resurrection and His coming again. And I believe so strongly in it that it affirms my relationship with the covenant community. And we together celebrate His someday return, but also His work in my life. The work of constant uh, improving and, and constant changing and constant getting better at it that the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And I celebrate that around this table. We examine ourselves. The word examine has to do with, I was trying to think of what in the world, but one of the things that came to my mind is the image in the recent old movies of somebody discovering gold, and they pick up one of them, and they stick it in their teeth, and they bite to see if it's real. I have no idea why they do that. But anyway, it's an image in my mind to bite it to see if it's not soft, I guess, so it's real metal. It's the idea, examine yourselves, is the idea of testing metal to see if it's firm. That's the idea. Examine yourselves. Examine what? The relationship that we have with the body with whom we celebrate today. Particularly examine my relationship with these who sit near me or behind me or in front of me or who with the kids, you know, or who are our leaders. And, and in these days of transition, am I carrying anything that is an offense to the community and the covenant relationship with Jesus? In the interim, with a search committee who will set their work soon on behalf of all of us, with the questions we have, have I got it sorted out? I'm okay with what's going on. I know I'm grieving, but I got it in control. I'm left to grieve myself. I'm letting somebody else grieve the way they want. I'm one with the body. There's a text across the page of 1 Corinthians 13 I love. Verse 5b, it says this in that list of what? The love chapter, right? 13 verse 5b says, and it love keeps no record of wrongs. I've hung on that my whole life. I don't keep a list of the things I have against you. Right? Not only a paper list. This isn't a paper list in Corinthians. This is a head list. They didn't have that stuff. This is a head list. I don't keep in my head a list of those who've wronged me. That's love. That's the emotion that surrounds the Lord's table. Love for the community, for the, for the body of Christ. So examine ourselves. And it's deeper than that, isn't it? It says test our hearts. Two areas of our life, right? We have our head, our intellect, and we have our heart, our emotion. In our culture, that's how we understand it. And many of us live in our head, and we love you for it. <laughs> and many live in our hearts, and we love you for it. But this is not... A test of the head, friends. Examine my heart. The center of my emotion. Examine ourselves. Keep a short record. I'll only pass over this quickly because it's a difficult passage, so pastors like to pass over quickly. Verse 31 and 30 are, are a little tough. I'll read it, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, we can do that later. That's why many of you, all right, this is the reason if it doesn't work. That's what he's saying. If you ignore the challenge of the Lord's table, here's, here's what he says. 
That's why many of you among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment, the judgment of the world, right? So there's the judgment of mankind through the blood of Christ. The other is the judgment of the world that the world is receiving. And we become more like the world if we fail to examine ourselves. We become more miserable. We become more unchristlike. We become more normal. We become like all the people we work with. We become like some of the children in the nursery. If we do not examine ourselves, Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit, we move to a realm we object with, we don't like. We've made a profession of faith to get away from that. But if we do not examine ourselves, month by great, sorry. I really thought that was a firm clip. Come on, guys. If we do not examine ourselves uh, regularly, then we move to the realm about which we have left. So that's why we do it every month, in my view. That's why we do it regularly, because I need to keep up. I need to examine my heart so often. And friends, today's the day. Verse 32. Verse 32. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being... I'm glad that word's there. We are being disciplined. Love disciplines. Amen? Love, if you're a grandpa or a grandma or a parent or a teen, you know love disciplines. We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Not just a process of moving away, you know, this, but actually ending up condemned. There's a theology there we can talk about sometime. So whose church is it? It's the Lord's church, right? We belong to Him. We belong to the larger kingdom. And for you and I at Ebenezer to get this sorted out this morning as we come to this table, not only affects you personally or me personally, it affects the community in which we live beyond Ebenezer. Up and down the streets of the Fraser or Oak or wherever or Canby, wherever you find yourselves, the, if we get this right today, it affects the church and its influence outside the building. If we get it right. If we can celebrate the Lord's Supper in community, not being condemned like the fallen world, we're making progress together in Vancouver and abroad to make His name known to all. Our local congregational structure is influenced by our decisions. It's important how we get along is influenced by every time we take this meal together. And actually, being right this morning before the Father in our own hearts is secondary to the larger mission of the church, to the larger mission of why we meet. Because I said a month ago, we as the church are here, we as individuals are here for the sake of the world. We're here to tell the world who God is. That's the primary goal, I believe. 
But you know, we've got to be right at home first. We've got to get straight at home first. So I'm going to give an invitation this morning because I know you're listening and I certainly know the Spirit is evident. In a moment, I want to lead us in prayer as our Master Lord confronts each of us right now for the sake of our congregation. It may be this morning that I've touched a nerve in your heart because there's something you have against someone else within the fellowship, within the community. And you're saying, George, I got to do something about that. So I'm going to give you some options. One option is why we sing this song to simply get up and do your business. Nobody's going to be offended. Nobody's going to be embarrassed. They're going to know perfectly well what you're doing, but it's your business. So we'll let that person or those persons do their thing, and we're not going to even bother paying attention. But that may be a little too dramatic for you. So I'll give you another choice. Simply as we pray, you're going to say to the Father, I've got work to do, and I'll get it done. And I'll get it done soon. But you may say in your, as we pray together, I'm, I think I better wait on the Lord's table this time. I think I'm just going to refuse the elements. Yeah, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do what you're telling me to do, but I, I think I just better be sincerely waiting. And that's okay too. Again, no one's going to pay attention. Nobody cares. But that's a little less dramatic. It's okay. Either way this morning, as we pray, as I lead us in prayer, would you do your business with him in prayer? Would you get it right? Examine your heart as you've been doing already. Make it right before we in a few moments celebrate what he's done in our lives. And it may be a celebration that says, you know, George, it's as fresh as the last two minutes. It could be that brand new. That's okay. Or it could be a celebration that's, that looks back many years, you know, many years of God's faithful care in your life. But you're saying, I'm celebrating with the body and the bread, the, the body and the cup, what Jesus is doing in my life.